0: to Paranormal Roundtable. I'm your host, Josh Turner, and with me is my co-host, Anthony. That is my nephew. Tony will not be joining us on this particular episode. He's been fired. Yep. He (laughs) sucks. He's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's actually... Yeah, he does. He's terrible, but he's actually uh, working tonight, and like we had said before, he's going to scale back a little bit. He's only been popping in on the live stream for about an hour. Uh, Just, you know... He's got some things going on and, and the harassment and stuff that's been happening kinda of got to him a little bit and um it didn't crush him or anything like that, but it it made him step back a little bit. Yeah. And we respect that. We're okay with that. It did the same thing with Barton and a few other people. It just kinda of took their step back because, you know, I mean it's a it's uh it's a hassle. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a hassle when people are accusing you of all kinds of things and they're just they don't stop, they don't let up, whatever, and they just keep on with their BS. Um, they just keep wanting to wage war. And uh, we keep refuting their claims and we keep, you know, proving that they're wrong. But, uh, you know, some people buy into it and then you have to deal with that. And it's not like we want to give them attention. People are like, oh, don't give them any attention. Well, when they're accusing you of felonies and they get some people that are believing it, you have to defend yourself. You can't just sit there. And there's but, just crazy people out there. And
1: I mean, I don't want some... The wrong crazy person believing something wrong about me,
0: I don't know what they're going to do, what they're capable of. I don't, I'm don't. i like, these are strangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, unfortunately we had to talk about it a little bit, but that's all the time we're going to give it right now. Look, here, here's what's going on. Uh, a couple things we got to get out of the way. If you are sending me a friend request on Facebook, that's all on hold right now because I've been told not to accept any friend requests right now because of the fake accounts that were made. And, folks, there were hundreds of them. I mean, like hundreds. And the listeners, even, of all of our different shows of ours, uh, Bettina Moss's show, Ape C's show, Joe and Jesse's show, Jerry and Ella's show. I mean, it, dude, there's just so many people. Uh, Michigan Rob, The Blondes and Boo's, Tex, everybody. We're, all of our shows were targeted. And... um, everybody deals with it in their own way. I chose to just stop any friend, you know, any accepting a friend request right now, temporarily, at least until we can figure out what's going on. We also had to stop the giveaways because, you know, these people were making some outlandish claims. And so I just, it is what it is. Um, When you get to a certain level, and you do it correctly, the people that are not on your level and that aren't doing things correctly, they're going to be upset. That's just, that's the bottom line. And that's what we're dealing with, but we're not going to let them uh, ruin everything for everybody. What we have though, is the Patreon. Now, if you're, you know, paying money as a Patreon, we will send you your stuff. Okay. Because we are pretty sure that if you're willing to pay for a monthly, you know, charge or whatever to get, you know, we will send you a swag bag. You know, we feel a lot more safe with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, people that don't like us, they're not going to sign up for a Patreon. Yeah. You know, they're not going to give you money um, to help out with the show. That's for sure. They want to see you destroyed, not making it. And uh, we do do a live stream every Friday and Sunday. Friday, Friday it's at nine, but we're going to move it. We're going to bump it to Eight. So we can get, you know, because the chat doesn't fill up as much as it does on Sunday because we hit Sunday about 7.30 and that's prime time and then it goes to about 10.30. Um, typically, sometimes we start about 8, but we we always hit, you know, f- over 500. Uh, last two Fridays, we haven't hit over 500, but Sunday we do. Yeah. So we're thinking about moving the time a little bit on Friday. And at the end of the month, we're going to reevaluate whether or not we're going to even keep doing the live streams on both days. We will do at least one a week, but we may cut back one, cut, cut one day off. And I'm, I would say probably Friday, we're going to cut that off and just do Sunday. Um, probably do an hour long with the guest, and then a couple of hours of storytelling, the retelling of people's stories. But we don't know yet. Um, in our, our money situation... We have to weigh that because we have business we have to run and we have a lot of work right now. And I'm also in the process of trying to get this board game off the ground that my wife created, my, my wonderful wife, a uh, very intelligent woman. She did something. I don't think I could have done it. And um, especially with the time, I don't have the time. And But she helps out. She does scheduling. She works, takes the call-ins and everything, the people that have to do, you know, and she helps get stories for us. She's a jack of all trades. She does a lot. And Anthony is a very important person with this. Tony, Tony helps a lot with the stories and things. Um, I have a great team. I can't say enough about them. The Paranormal Roundtable team. Everybody chips in. Everybody helps. My brother, my best friend, two of my best friends. Um, my nephew Zane. He tries to chip in sometimes when it's convenient for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, and his stories in my book, though. I mean, he he contributed. You know. Um, I will say this. Everybody who's contributed in any shape or form, it's greatly appreciated. Whether you did it through your stories that you gave us, or you get you did it monetarily, or you gave support on Facebook through this whole situation we've been through, it's greatly appreciated. All of my friends and allies. That being said, go check out Barton Nunley's and Humanoids. He's doing some amazing work. He's going to come on tomorrow night on his show. Go check him out. Let's fill up that chat and show him some love and show the Paranormal Roundtable strength and help him out. He got to 5000 subscribers and I couldn't be more happy for him. I want to see him hit 20, 30, you know. We crossed over the threshold uh Sunday. Yeah, we're at 29,000 29, now. So we're about 1000 away from 30,000. That's a milestone that was one of our goals. Uh, it's yeah. not the ultimate goal. Um but 30,000 listeners, that's not that's nothing to sneeze at. You know, we have way more when you look at all the different platforms. Mhm. So yeah, we're, we're happy. I'm in the middle of my third book. I say the middle of my third book, but, uh, uh, I was talking to Ken, uh, Gerhard and he was like, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, I'm writing my third book. He goes, Oh, that's awesome. How far are you? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of it. You know? And he goes, really? How many pages? I said three. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's a six page book. And I'm like, I was like, don't judge, man. Don't judge. There's people writing pamphlets out there and passing them off as the, the great Gatsby. All right. So all I'm saying is I'm trying, okay, but I have a little bit of time and a lot to do, okay, so that being said, join the patreon ten dollar tier all the way up to fifty if you go to if you go to the forty, you get both my books and then one of my fellow author's books, and then or you get one of my books, fellow author's book, and then fifty you get both my books and fellow author's book, and you'll get like a hoodie if it's in season. We're yeah. ordering these zip up hoodies now, uh-huh. right. But you guys need to go and buy one of those from the store. We have all these different kinds, and you got to have at least two. We'll send you one, but you got to order another one. Come on. They are so cool. The zip-up hoodie, my wife came up with that idea, and Anthony uh, it put it into place. Me, well, me and him, we did it together. Yeah, And uh, we came up with some really cool colors. We are going to have another conference next year. We don't know exactly when, but it's going to happen And uh, my third and fourth books will be out hopefully by summer of next year. I'll have two more out. So my plan is to write two per year at least. You know, I think that's a doable goal. I can do it. A couple hundred pages per book. You know, I'm not going to write little golden books like some of these people with the fake AI. No fake AI, no fake subs, no fake views and all this other make fake. They even have fake comments. You know that? Oh, yeah. yeah. They can have fake people comment. Yeah, you can like pay for bots to leave comments that's on your stuff. So ridiculous, dude. If if you have to do that, how can you look at yourself in the mirror and be like, I, I'm somebody and I did something. <laughs> you did, you know, it's like that shine down song, Good for You. You fooled everybody. All right. But you know what? You didn't fool us. We know who you are. <clears throat> you know what you did. And that's why you're all upset and mad. Um, because you're not doing things correct, but that's, you know, that's on them. Here, we do do things correct, and we talk to real people, get real stories, and we have one for you tonight, and it's this story. uh, I'm going to put a little disclaimer on there. It's a little disturbing. I'm not going to lie. I can understand if you don't, you know, I've toned it down quite a bit. I've taken out a lot of stuff. Anthony knows um, because – it does get into some really deep, deep personal things. And this is an amazing story. Uh, It's a little bit sad. It's very sad, I guess. Um, But uh, yeah, it is what it is. We're going to talk about it. Uh, One last thing uh, we got to tell you, uh, make sure that you join the Paranormal Roundtable group. Go join because you'll keep abreast of everything that's going on in the world of Paranormal Roundtable. That being said, let's get started. So, what do we begin? Let me see here. So, Anthony, you know about this. This gentleman reached out to me, and he said, "Man, I have a story to tell you. Uh, my story." Is, he he said, "It's going to blow your mind." Um, I've heard this before, you know. <laughs> and then it's hit or miss. Sometimes you're like, "Wow, that really did," you know. It's pretty, you know. And then other times you're just like, "What," you know. It's not as it's a good story, but it's not as epic as the person comes out and says. Oh, I just got this amazing story. You know, I was raised by a family of of, of dog headed Bigfoot. <laughs> uh-huh. You know? uh, but no, this story. I, I, I the guy's name is Brian. I, I, I'm going to use his name, Brian. Just that's all. I'm not going to say his last name or anything like that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, and, and I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if that's his real name. We didn't get into that. I think that people that have something like this, they probably desire to have their their name not thrown out there, but he was okay. He said, just call me Brian. And uh I'm not gonna say his last name, but I'll say this. Um I believe him. I believe him, and and I talked to my colleagues, Barton Unley and Chris Garitano, about it, and they seem to think that he's on the up and up too. Uh, you know, I talked to Bishkin Rob. he's another friend of ours, another channel. And I told them all, I said, what do you think of this? You know." And so this isn't something that I took lightly. Um, but uh, Barton had a guy on his show last Wednesday that he only went by the name of Mr. T. And he started off talking about cryptids and some weird stuff. And then he got into, and I think he's talking about ghosts too a little bit, like spirits. you know. But uh, he got into some stuff that had happened to him when he was young. And it kind of echoed what this person told us. Now, this person... Um, reached out to me for the second time, and I read like deeper into what he had, and then we talked um, on Tuesday, which was literally the day before Mister T went on Barton's show. And I was talking with Garitano about it last night, and I was like, "Dude, this is crazy! Like, this is insane! Like th- these people, they have these encounters, and then Jerry and Ella Williams sent me some links to some people who have had these same similar things happen." Uh, and it's just, it's just nuts. I mean, you know, he told me, he's like, what, what I'm about to tell you may be hard to swallow because, but every bit of it's true. I'll start from the beginning. When he was young, when he was a, a child, he had a, a, his dad, um, worked for the, for the government. He worked at a mill out of a military base. I'm not going to say the name of it, Anthony, I've told you, um, and several other people or, you know, let's put it that way. And I've told several of the people that are in the community privately, but it's not something I'm going to announce publicly. But his his dad worked at a, a, his, his earthly father. I say earthly father because that's not really... I, I look at earthly father and heavenly father, two different things. His earthly father worked for a military installation or at a military installation. His mother, as far as we know, was a teacher, but he now thinks maybe that wasn't even real. Uh, and and it's, re- it's a really bizarre, is a bizarre tale. When he was a toddler, let's start from the beginning. When he was little, he lived in a haunted house. And that's how this came about. Uh, a friend of mine who was in a support group, which I didn't know these people had a support group. Um, they met and it was a private group that somebody had put together. Um, and this guy, he says, I, I got a guy who lived in a haunted house, but it's a very unique story. It's not like, A normal haunting that you would think of as a haunting. And so I said, okay. And so he, I reached out to him um, the first time. I didn't get a response. And then, like a month or two later, he messaged me back. And then, fast forward to like this past Tuesday, and he reaches out again. And we started talking. And he gave another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Give me the whole story. Once I read what he gave me, then then we started talking. And he was like, look. You know, what I'm going to tell you is going to be hard to swallow, but I, I, this is the truth. When I was a child, I lived in a haunted house. My dad worked at a military installation. He goes, and I didn't think there was a connection. He's like, but knowing what I know now, he's like, I know there was a connection. And now he's like in his mid thirties. Uh, but, but what he told me, or I guess actually he'd be in his late thirties. So what he told me, he said, look, when I was little, because my earliest memories were of going to this military installation with my dad, he would drop me off at this sort of daycare and then I would, and I would play with the other kids and then my dad would go and do what he had to do because I was like three or four years old. And he told me, he says, I have very vivid memories of this, but then sometimes some of it seemed like it was a dream. And he told me, he says, I, I don't know what... To believe was real or what wasn't real because he said that when he was a child, he would they would put him it na- would put him in nap time, right? And then he would wake up, he would be in one room and he would wake up in another room, and sometimes he would wake up on like this slab with a sheet over him and, and like there was just a sheet underneath him, and there would be people coming in and out of there, and he goes, I would cry because they would be sticking me with needles. Oh, that's so disturbing. And so I asked him. I said, "Wait, wait, wait! What what is this? You know, what what do you?" He goes, "Well, he's like I don't know at that point. I, I don't know what it was they were doing, but I think they were like taking my blood, and then they were injecting me with different things." He said that as he got older, when he was five or six, he said he saw his first apparition in the house he lived in. One of the things he saw very disturbing looks like an angel, but it was on fire. And he said that it was like hovering in the window of his, outside of his bedroom when he was a child. He also had a sister that he believes was three or four years older than him. But when he was about five or six, like, like the same t- at the same time he saw this fiery angel thing, he said that that sister disappeared. And he would ask his parents about it. And when he was real small, they told him that that this sister had gone to live with her grandparents because she was supposedly a foster child. Strange thing. He didn't believe that because he found a picture of his sister in the back of his dad's closet in his study in a shoebox. And he said, this is a Polaroid there was a picture of us standing in front of a Christmas tree. He goes, and then there was another photo of us, like another holiday. It was like an Easter bunny or something at the mall, you know, you know, the ones with the creepy uh, Easter bunny that looks like he's going to eat you or whatever. Yeah. And he said, the dude, he goes, I I was like, I remember this person. And he said, her name was like Abigail or Amber or something like that. And he said that she, he can't remember exactly because it was like he, he had this brain fog when he would try to remember her. But he looked like her. He goes, we looked a lot alike. And I think she was about three years older than me, but I couldn't be for sure. And then his parents said, no, that was a foster child that only lived with us for one year. Um, and they kind of made up this story. But then years later, he, him and his mother, he questioned his mom when he was like 19 or something. And he said he was going to college. And he was darker than his parents. Like he had more of a dusky hue yeah. skin tone. And he didn't look like either one of his parents and neither did this girl. Um, He does have light colored hair. He goes, but I have a little bit of a tan complexion. He's like, I I, I guess I look kind of odd to some people because, you know, I have, you know, green eyes and I have this weird complexion. He's like, but I didn't look like either one of these people. And he started calling them people. And I said, what do you mean people? He goes, well, I'll, I'll explain later. He continues to tell me about his experiences that happened in this house one of the most disturbing experiences he had in this house was this dog-like creature with this weird underbite that had these kind of conically spiked teeth. It, didn't, it, did, it looked kind of canine-like, but not really. It had really wrinkly skin, he said, kind of like a sharp A. That was his words, the way he described it. But, it, but it didn't have any fur. And the skin looked like it was always like perspiring or something. And he's like, dude, this thing would appear in my room and then it would just vanish. And he said that ever every every time he would like his friends when he got older, he would go to sneak out of the house with his friends, this creature would appear and stand in front of the window. So he could never go and really do anything. When he would want to go to the movies or do something with his friends, his mom and dad would always kind of block him, make an excuse why he couldn't do it or whatever. And he felt like there was a level of control there to the point of like it was, you know, nauseating. And he's like, dude, most kids don't have that. I couldn't have a sleepover. I couldn't have a friend over. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. And uh, he would see these weird apparitions and he would see, and what they looked like, He was in his dad's office one day and he was snooping and he found a gun and uh, some weird like notes that looked like they were in some sort of code, which he said he tried for years to decipher, couldn't figure out what it was. They They were all over his dad's office. And um he couldn't get into his computer his dad had it locked down. And he said that um he would he saw in his dad's study one time this blurry thing like the bookshelf looked blurry when he stared at it but this thing kind of walked out from in front of the, the the bookshelf and through the wall. And he thought, "Dude, that I just saw a ghost." You know? And he would see these things m- multiple times. One time he saw one standing behind his dad's aquarium. He had these really expensive uh, saltwater fish. He said he thought he saw something standing on the other side of the aquarium and he could see the water look kind of weird. And he he described it to me as kind of like the predator effect. You know how the predator looks? Yeah, like like that transparent cloaking. Mm -hmm, The cloaking we hear about with Bigfoot and Dogman. And he he said they were about eight, nine foot tall, these weird cloaked entities, if that's my word. But he he would he told me, he says, dude, I would see these things wandering around my house. And he goes, I'd see them moving up and down the stairs. I would see these black shadow things that would come out of the darkness of the corner and they would stand there. And sometimes they would look like their arms were crossed. You could see they were doing human things. And he goes, dude, my house is haunted. Infested. Yeah, it was bad. He said that going growing, growing up, he saw many, many different types of entities and- when he got a little older, he started, he got interested in girls and he started dating this girl he named Cassandra. Uh, her name, she said her name was Cassandra. She was new to his school. And when they started going out, one day he went over to her house. When he got a little older, like in his late teens, his mom and dad loosened up a little bit, let him do a few things, like go to school dances and stuff. Um, but they were very guarded with him when he was young. And he said him and Cassandra spent a lot of time together. He went to her house, never met her parents. Her parents were never there, never home. They were always gone working. And he found an ID, or I should say IDs, in this girl's purse. She went to the restroom. And he's like, dude, I know I shouldn't have, but I just had a weird feeling about it. she, She knew a lot. She seemed like she was so much older. So she had multiple uh, IDs multiple of her Multiple IDs, and the IDs had different ages, ranging from 19 to 24. But they were all like with her picture? Mm-hmm. It was her. Uh, she even had a military ID. Wow. So um, he was concerned about that. So one day when they at the, they went bowling, and there's a, some other kids there, and he he confronted Cassandra. And he said, look- I really like you, but I want you to be honest with me. He goes, I found these. And he, he took a couple of them. And she's, she snatched them and she's like, what are you doing with those? Those are mine. You know, she got real defensive. And he told me, he says, dude, I was concerned that this person was not who they said they were. Yeah. yeah, it's not Like that evidence mm-hmm. makes it sound like she's a plant. Exactly. And he said, dude, the military idea was really disturbing. She also had a passport different types of passports, different, just, you know, just stuff that it didn't add up, you know? So she told him, she goes, okay, I'll be honest with you. She goes, I make fake IDs, but I'm only 17 and I'm just, you know, I'm your age, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like looking at her and he kept thinking, she doesn't look 17. Yeah. She looks like she's several years older. And he said, well, why would you have all the different ages? Wouldn't you just have all those ages? She's like, well, because she told him I make them so I can drink, you know, legally. And uh, he said that the IDs were perfect copies. Three different states. One of them was like Texas. Another one was like Alabama, Florida, California. Um, Different states, like three or four different states. And he said that it didn't make sense. He's like, this person is not on the up and up. Something's wrong. She was also into Kabbalistic magic. She started teaching him about magic oh, and all no. these different types of, yeah. And then the last story she told, she says, okay, well, I was actually Amish. I lived with an Amish family in Pennsylvania. Um, and she said that I I ran away from the ordnance and I ended up, you know, being taken in by the family I'm with now. You know, there were no pictures of this family that she lived with. Yeah. She had no siblings. They were never there. They were always at work or doing something else. And he just thought, this is this is crazy. She didn't work, but she always had money. And one day, he stayed the night with her, and he woke up, and she was on the phone in another room, and he starts listening, and she's like, yeah, I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I think that he's he believes me. <laughs> so he hears that. So he gets really upset. He grabs his clothes, and he just walks out, and she's like oh, hey, what's going on, Brian? He's like, yeah, I got to go. You know, he goes and gets in his car and she runs out after him. And he stops talking to her and then she quits coming to school. So about a year goes by and he's in his senior year in high school. He's 18 years old. And he starts dating this other girl. And as it starts to get serious, his mom and dad ask him about Cassandra. And they kind of did it in a way where it was in front of this other girl that made him feel like they were trying to put him on the spot and force something like they were being really rude to this girl and they were just, it wasn't, it didn't add up. It was like, why are they so hostile to this person? And why are they, why do they keep bringing up this other girl? The mom claimed to have been in contact with Cassandra. Cassandra wanted to reach out to him. So one day... His mother gives him, she's folding his laundry, whatever. She brings him this paper and says, here, this is Cassandra's number. I just really thought you were made for each other. And she seems like such a sweet girl and blah, blah, blah. So he really liked her though. He really liked her. And he thought, you know what? Maybe I should give it a second chance. Maybe I was being overly suspicious. He calls her up and she says, look, I need to tell you some things. You need to meet me. Okay. So he goes to this coffee shop and he meets this girl. She says, look, she's like, I'm not who you think I am. And he goes, Oh, no, no, duh. You know, like, I've figured that out, you know. She's like, but I like you. She's like, I really actually like you. And he goes, Well, how old are you? She's like, I'm 20. That's my real age. I'm 20 years old. And she's like, she's like, I'm not a high school kid. She's like, but I was part of a program. Now this is where it gets really it goes off the rails. She says, I'm gonna show you some things. So she, at that point in time, she began to teach him how to actually remote view. That's what he called it. And he said then she began to teach him about astral projection and how to come out of his body. And she used some very esoteric things and was showing him. She was part of a program that she described as a magic psyop that actually was established by a sort of shadow military whatever, and they actually went to school together. At this point, he was 18. She was 20, right? She says, you don't remember me. She's like, but we were in that same program. Our parents were in the military together. She says, you need to go and take a look in your dad's filing cabinet, the one that's locked. She's like, right behind the liquor cabinet. You go in and get the key. go in there. She knew where it was at. He's like, you've been snooping in my house? She goes, trust me, I've been in your house. She's like, I know. And she's like, he's like, okay, he goes home. She's like, you can't tell your parents. She's like, I'm risking my life to tell you these things. So apparently they thought that she was what they called a perfected agent. Somebody who was perfectly brainwashed, I guess. That's what I gather. Oh, okay. And so, he said that they, that they trusted her. They believed that she was on the up and up, but she turned and started telling him the truth. He goes over there, looks behind the liquor cabinet, behind a certain bottle of liquor, sees it right there as a key. He takes it. He goes to the filing cabinet. opens it up, and he looks into the filing cabinet, and there is an adoption certificate. He was adopted. His huh. real mother was a Native American woman who was from Seattle, who was... Basically a drug addict who did the right thing and went into a program to try to get help, gave her child to the grandmother when he was a baby, little two-year-old, whatever. And while she was in that program, somebody betrayed her. And told, you know, the child protective, whatever people, um, yeah, they went to the house and they, they took him and basically told the grandmother that, you know, she's an unfit mother. We can, we can do this the hard way or the easy way. We can take everything you have and leave you homeless, or you can give up this child and we'll pay you and we'll continue to pay you. And, you know, because you can't take care of him, you're poor, basically, And they threatened her. So it's like, take the money and leave them and let go or face consequences of of us doing things to you. Basically state-sanctioned kidnapping. Basically, yeah. When you put it down to to the brass tacks. So he finds out that he's not, you know, and there's all this paperwork on this. And so this is something that he found out later on. Like he found out he was adopted, but he found his birth mother. And this is where it gets really sad because- he found her two months before she died of liver cancer. Like, you know, so she was our liver failure. I'm sorry. So she, she had fallen into alcoholism, never really recovered and was, had been sober for a couple of years, but wasn't enough. She was dying. It was too little, too, too late. Too little, too late. And she's like, she's like, I got clean only to find out that they had taken my child. And she's like, and I never recovered. Um, she said that she was sober for a while, but she relapsed, you know, and then just fell into alcoholism and drug addiction. And she's like, I don't know if it was it was better for you to have a better life like that. And he wanted to lay everything out there to his birth mother and tell her, look, this is what's happening to me. This isn't correct. But he thought, why dump all that on a dying woman? So he just told her, yeah, mom, I'm okay. And everything was fine. And then she passed away. And... She died, never really knowing the truth, but his grandmother was still alive. And he told her, now here's a sad thing. About two months uh, after his mother died, his grandmother dies in an accident. And um, he didn't go into details about the accident. He just told me that there was an accident and she passed away. And I said, do you think that it was nefarious that somebody caused it? He goes, I don't know. But he said that as he got older and time went on, he had these these hauntings, it would have gotten more severe, things would grab him in his bed, and he saw a book being pulled off the shelf slowly, like this, he had this like stack of, I can relate to this, he said he had like this stack of graphic novels, they were kind of sideways on the shelf, and one of them just started being pulled out and it fell out. Yeah. And get this, it was Doctor Strange, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know if that means anything, but you know, that's the esoteric guy, you know. Uh, and so I thought that was really weird. You know, some of the things he told me, he saw a man sitting in his dad's study that looked like he was from the 1800s who just like dematerialized before his eyes, him and another friend, they were there because his friend came over to go swimming because his family had money and they, you know, he could swim. They put him through college. He became a computer programmer and, uh, but ultimately he passed a, he failed a random drug test for marijuana and he ended up. Going and, and having to um, get unemployed, what do you call it, lose his job. He tried to fight it, but they, there's nothing he could do. He pay, he failed the drug test. And so he ended up having to move back in with his parents. At this point, he was 27 years old. And he is still talking to this Cassandra person off and on. She's giving him information here and there, you know, but she's popping in and out of his life. She's She's never really set stable like she's not a stable fixture in his life and she claims because she is kind of in hiding and on the run so she couldn't be you know and his parents did this whole like just complete about face about with her they were like stay away from her she's a bad person we looked into her and she's a junkie and they made up all this stuff which he believed at this point was a lie just to try to get him away from her because i think they figured out that she was you know yeah and then he had these people, like he started having these abduction scenarios that were taking place when he was like like 10 or 11, the first one he remembered. And there were these human looking beings, like that would come into his room. And there were these creatures, sometimes it would accompany them that looked like one of them looked like a pillar of light. At one point, he would like just appear in his room and just kind of be like observing in the background. And then another one looked like a lizardy looking person with like these weird like military insignias on these black uniforms that just looked weird like they were stars and like this weird looking planet it looked like Saturn or something and he said that it was very bizarre and sometimes they, they they would show up in his room and then he would go to sleep and like he would get real sleepy then he'd wake up and he'd be in like this very um I don't know how you would say it like I forgot the words he used like a a, a very um, clean, what's it called, like a- Sterile? Sterile environment, yes. I'm trying to remember. I'm tired, folks. Anyways, he said like it was a very sterilized environment. He would wake up and it'd be like this white room with just a metal slab. And he started having flashbacks all throughout his life. He was having flashbacks when he was a child. And he remembers a couple times seeing these beings like come through the wall, like in his room, and when he would go with them, sometimes he would look back and he'd see his body laying there. So at one point, he, he used the technique that his girlfriend, friend, whatever she was, contact Cassandra, don't even know if that's her real name. And so he said that she had taught him how to leave his body. During one of these abduction scenarios, there were these two human entities there. And I say entity because I don't know they're human. He wakes up in the middle of it. Then he... Like closes his eyes and just lets himself drift back to sleep and then he comes out of his body. And he sees the two human entities there, but he sees two other entities that look completely different than these humans with these little spikes on their heads, but they looked one of them looked a little reptilian, the other one didn't look so much reptilian, but he could tell they were something. They were like the same species. They looked different, but they were the same. Yeah. And he said that they had this weird greenish-blue skin. And he goes, I couldn't see them when I was physically awake, but when I came out of my body, I could see them. And he said that whenever he noticed this, that there was this ball of light that had this weird tail that was kind of hanging in the middle of these people, entities, whatever, the room. And it began to roll itself up into a small ball. And then he realized, because he was hovering in front of a mirror in his dresser, that he could see himself. He goes, and I look like a yellow ball of light. And he said that all these beings just kind of folded up into like balls of light. And then they all shot down into this gray tunnel, grayish black tunnel. And he decided to follow them. When he followed, this was when he was 27 years old. He ended up showing up into this military installation where immediately there were these two guards that came out. He described these, these beings as like lizard-like in the face, wearing these like military caps looking like very official, but they had those weird patches on their shoulders. And he said that they came out and they literally, they could see him. And they started like talking to him, uh, not with their mouths, but in like his mind and telling him, you know, to halt and you can't go any further and blah, blah, blah. But they couldn't do anything to him because they were like physical. And they tried like swiping at him with these weird looking batons. One of them did anyway. He said, I went right past him. And then I see this Creature that comes out of this like portal in front of this building and it looks like a griffin. He said it's like a griffin, but it has like a lion head on it with like a weird beak. And he said that it like comes at him like this and it turns in like a fiery ball, dripping like this weird plasma stuff off of it. And it comes right at him. And he goes, I could feel the heat. So I turned and I shot off in, in the direction of where the tunnel was. And I started zipping around looking for it. And he goes, And I find it. I go through this tunnel as it's starting to close on me, he goes, and then I shot, I shot back out of my room. And then I see this ball of light come behind me. He goes, and I, I wake up and I'm in my body. There's like, I wake up with a jolt. He goes, and I see this thing kind of unfold right before me, like almost two dimensional, then become three dimensional. He goes, and it was standing at the, the bottom right corner of my bed, staring at me. And he says it was this lion headed creature with this weird, what looked like a scorpion looking tail and these weird bird like talons for hands and feet. And it had kind of like a beak, but it looked like a lion, like a male lion. And he's like, dude, I don't know how to describe it. It was so chimeric looking. And he said, I I immediately grabbed for some stuff off of the shelf. He's like, and I, I just, I had like something on the shelf. He goes, pretty sure it was like. I'll just say it looked like a tobacco water pipe and a sock. <laughs> Let's call it a tobacco water pipe, and he throws it at this in the direction of this being, and he goes. It hits the wall and it goes through him, and it breaks. But this thing folds up and takes off through the wall. Doesn't see it again, and he says, at that point, he goes, "I was a hundred percent convinced that everything that was going on in my house, these were not ghosts. These were." He believes that the poltergeist activity things falling off the shelf, things being moved around, all this stuff. He said, "I think that these entities that were in my house were connected to this government program, this military installation whatever it was that he claimed that he was going to." And he said, "I don't I don't know what this is or or you know how it works or whatever." He's like, "But at that point anyway, he says, I, I didn't know what it was or how it worked. He goes, but I knew that something was wrong. He goes, I knew I was in trouble. He's like, I had to get get out of that house, get away from these people who he knew weren't his parents at this point. And so <clears throat> he, he starts throwing stuff into a bag and he's getting ready to leave and take off. And he's like, I'm just going to head up, you know, out of the state and go somewhere else, maybe go to Canada or whatever. And uh, his mother and his dad and some guy that he never met before that looked like a, a doctor, they show up. And this doctor has these two guys walking behind him. And he says, we're here to take you, Brian. You have some mental issues. You're having a mental break. He's like, and we've given you medication. You're not taking it. I mean, they were giving him like, I don't remember what he said, like Meloril and all kinds of other crap that just makes you real, ugh, you know, Yeah, And lithium and who, I don't remember what all he said. He said stuff that wasn't, they, they shouldn't even be mixing. Like they really didn't care, you know, but, but then they told him, we're going to take you and his dad and his mom are all like, yeah, this is the best thing for you, whatever. And he finally snaps and he goes, you're not even my parents. He's like, I'm not going with these people. And so when they started to come at him and whatever, they grabbed him, they wrestled with him. He calmed down and he says, okay, okay, uh, that's fine. I'll go, I'll go, whatever. He goes and they they put him in this van. They take him to this facility. When he gets inside, he's there and he's talking to this woman who's going to be his therapist. And she's like, I'm your therapist, whatever. She's like, you've been going around telling people a lot of weird stuff, you know, you're having a mental break, telling the same thing, basically telling him that he's crazy and that he needs help. And when he, when he had told, when he had confronted his mom and dad about this weird dreams that he was having, all these different scenarios, scenarios that had taken place, you know, they were just like, Oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're, you're going mad. You're going crazy, whatever. He goes, he stays there. He's like, I'm on there for about two weeks <clears throat> and it is a facility, I'm not going to say the name of it because it's an actual facility that houses people who have mental health issues. It's a legit place. Um, He gets a visitor and it's this girl, the girl that he was friends with. She shows up, she signs some papers and they release him to her. It was her and another woman. He gets in a car with them. And he's like, who are you? How are you able to do this? She's like, look, I'm part of this program. She's like, but I am considered, you know, an asset. She's like, now your parents argued that your not your real parents, but your adopted parents were on to me and they tried to turn me in and say that I had turned and this and that. And she's like, but I had, I've done enough with these people that I know that, that they will believe me. They're not going to, um, you know, so. He had no choice but to trust this person. So she kept her word. Okay. She takes him to a place, gives him his freedom, whatever, uh, in two two states over and says, look, here, you can stay here. Um, for about two years, he just lived kind of off the grid with, with this other couple that were really nice, kind of hippie-ish type people who had also been in that program, but they were in a program up in Michigan. So they took him in. They were living in another state, not Michigan, but they were living in another state. And I'm not going to disclose that because he asked me not to, but I will say this. I went over a lot of the details of this case with three different people who have some experience in these kinds of stories. These people who are going through this kind of trauma or whatever whatever you want to call it, PTSD. And they seem to think that his story checks out. Um, and you know, this is something that has gone on and on and on and on. Uh, Nick Redfern wrote a book about it. You know, Christopher Garitano did a documentary about it. Um, there's all these different people who've had their stories being told and, and, and retold on the internet. At, and in books and uh you know one of the things that brian told me too he says when i decided to reenter civilization he goes i changed my name you know i got a new identity whatever uh he's like i don't look at my life as anything other than a script like it was like the truman show yeah he's like i, I don't even know what to call it he goes it wasn't a life he goes but i know that that i grew i grew up thinking i lived in a haunted house he goes but what i really think it was i think that maybe there was something there besides this there was an like there might have been an actual haunting there maybe he goes but for the most part these entities they they're able to travel through the spirit world and he goes they they can travel through another dimension and they can come out and they can attack you and they can do all these different things and he said that you, when you remote view, there's things that can happen to you. This is his words. I'm not saying I believe all this. I'm just saying this is what he told me. And he said that he thinks that when you remote view, you can actually end up in a bad, very bad place and be taken hostage or prisoner by these, these beings that control all this. He believes this. And this is what he told me. He says, dude, I have reason to believe and an aspect of our government, not the official government, but some sort of shadow entity is working in cahoots with alien presences, right? And they travel through a spirit, the, through like another dimension that's basically what he calls the spirit realm. And he said that they move in and out of our reality like it's nothing. And then he went on to tell me about AI. One of the things he said was, he said, our artificial intelligence is so advanced that artificial intelligence can create life that we don't know that. We don't realize that. And that some of these people are perfectly cloned, basically bioengineered robots. Wow. And he goes, you think these are NPCs? He goes, when when, "When my friend told me about your show, now his friend is somebody that actually listens to my show. That's the person that introduced me to this guy. He said, he, he said, you got to listen to this guy. He talks about NPCs. And he goes, I think some of these NPCs really are NPCs. They are robots. They are bioengineered, biological robots. He said, as hard as that is to, to understand, he goes, it's crazy because Steven Siegel posted on his Facebook. Just, and, and this is weird. Right around the same time that this is going on, we got this guy, Mr. T, talking about what happened to him. You know, we got people talking about these different things that have happened to them with the MK Ultra and all these different like programs and things. It's just it's so crazy. Then you have Steven Seagull talking on his on his Facebook about these AI that 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 it's been around since the 1940s and that it's something that the it was on the navy it was in the navy. Now, I don't know if I believe all, you know, whatever. I don't know Stephen's source, but the fact that he was talking about it and it comes out around the same time that this guy contacted me, it's weird. It's really weird. I don't think there's any coincidences. And people that listen to the show, they know. They know that there are no coincidences. And you can't sit here and say that anybody that gives you a story is 100% correct. And you can't say that 100% wrong because you don't know. To me, it's just the guy's story. It's his encounters. And you can't tell me that it's right or wrong or it's true or it's not because we don't know. Yeah. We really don't know. But one of the things this guy told me is he said, I had a near death experience. Um, he was in a lake. He was dating a girl, the girl he's with now. And he goes, uh, the, he goes, I never learned to swim. He was in fact, I had this fear of water and she got me to go out onto this lake because the lake wasn't real deep, supposedly wrong. He gets out in the middle of the lake, they're on this little paddle boat and, and, he falls overboard like he started because he has seizures and he didn't really know where they came from or how long, but in the last 10 years, he's had all these weird seizures. And so he's in the process right now of getting checked in his, getting it in his brain and all that done. Um, he thinks that there could be something there. I hope not for his sake, but he said, I had a seizure a few years ago and he goes, and I fell into this water and I, and I went unconscious and I drowned. He's like, and I was under the water for, I mean, I, I went under, like I was I was dead, clinically dead. And then he was revived. She pulled him out. She resuscitated him herself. Like she did CPR on him, uh, pulled him to the shore. He wasn't that far out, but he was far out enough to where when you have a seizure, you drown, you know? Mm-hmm. And she had to dive down in and she, he said, dude, I remember being kind of out of my body and looking down into the water. And this is weird. He says, I see these ghostly looking hands coming up out of the water, pulling my body down. And and my girlfriend was diving down, struggling to pull my body away from this, whatever it was. So I asked him this, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, do you feel like there are spiritual entities trying to kill you and you know maybe causing these seizures or something? He said sometimes when if he looks directly toward the sun he feels like he's going to go unconscious. Certain types of light, you know, uh-huh. strobe anything strobe like. Oh, he got yeah. pulled over by the police and he went unconscious for a ticket. He was got he was driving too fast. Yeah, and he got a ticket. But he said that he went unconscious and then as the cop knocked on the window he kind of opened his eyes and he realized that he had blinked out. And he told the police officer he says your your lights are you know and the cop was unsympathetic. And said, "Well, maybe if you're having seizures, you shouldn't be driving, blah, blah, blah." And he said that he hasn't had anything like unusual, like nobody's visited him and told him, "Well, you better watch yourself. We're going to get you nothing like that." But he has gotten weird phone calls from landlines that he's been in places where he shouldn't have gotten them. He was eating in a restaurant one time, like at a Denny's, and he got a phone call, and they said, "Hey, you know you know Mr. I'm not going say his last name, but you know, you have a call. And he goes up there and he answers it, and they said, "Hey, we need to talk to you." And he, th- they tell him, "They're like, this is about your car's extended warranty." I'm joking, folks. I'm kidding, and I'm not trying well, that's to make
1: a real lie- scary part. Tell a marketer.
0: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying. I'm just trying to lighten the mood a little bit of levity because this is a dark subject. But this this person, they ask him, you know, like, "Are you enjoying your dinner, Brian?" And he just huh. like immediately hangs up like these people have done this to him. Trying to intimidate him. Yeah. But they haven't shown up and and said anything, but he has been in different places where he thought maybe somebody was watching him, but he said, maybe I'm just being paranoid. I don't know. But he said, dude, if, if you're ever in doubt in your house and you think it's haunted, he goes, you might want to wonder, is this some sort of ghost? Is it a demon or could it be these people and these entities, you know, masquerading, pretending to be a ghost or a demon or whatever. But, you know, it talks in the Bible about, you know, demons masquerading as spirits of the deceased. These demons and these aliens could be one and the same. And it could be one of those things where, you know, like in the biblical sense that that, that, that that's what they are. You know, they could be different types of demons could be different types of aliens. I don't know. I don't know your thoughts. I mean, I've said this before, but I think all demons are
1: are technically aliens because alien just means something that that's not not of our not native to our planet, and they were created before the earth was created They're not native to to earth, so technically yeah they're they're all aliens, but not all alien life form is going to be
0: a demon well, I could say this i I don't know that th- that this whole situation can be put into one single box. I mean, it's it's a very complex situation, and it's not something that I can talk about in just one hour. I could do a whole other hour on all the things that he told me, but we have other things that we have to discuss and do and, and, and talk about. I will say this. I do believe that he's being honest. I think he's telling the truth. What that was that grabbed him in the water that day and tried to kill him, I, I don't know... If that could have been just a coincidence, maybe it was a water spirit and he just happened to be there at the wrong time. I don't know. But I, I doubt it. Everything that's gone on. He said he feels like it's a mark. Like, you know, you're marked and once you're on their radar, you don't go, it doesn't end. And he said that these things, they see the light in him and they try to take it, you know. Um, that's his take on it. That's what he believes. I'm not I'm not going to argue with him and then say, well, I don't know, because I don't know. Um.
1: So he said that that like uh when 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 astral projecting like there the that you have to be careful because there are there are these beings that will that will
0: like take you or try to like uh mm-hmm. i guess like
1: <clears throat> kidnap you or whatever. Yeah.
0: Okay. You can become uh incarcerated as a spirit.
1: Yeah, um I was actually That's so weird because uh I was actually watching this this video the other day about like people who will use like the uh, cough syrup at, as a, a recreational drug. And one guy took it so far that he reported that, that he was like out of his body and he was met with like these, these beings, which he referred to as like some kind of like cosmic police or spiritual police or they were like some kind of like guardians, like security. Centuries. Or yeah, yeah. Centuries. And, There were certain areas where he said that he would see them and that they would just forbid you from going past them and that they were so like uh, powerful and and intimidating that he had more to describe them by, but he he didn't want to go into detail because they told him, don't talk about us. Don't tell anyone about us. Don't, Don't divulge any information once you get back, just for, you're forbidden from entering this place. And so like all he did was, was just call them the dream police. And that's what he called them. Um, he didn't want to go into any more detail other than calling them that and saying
0: what their job was. And I told you about what happened to me one time when I was dreaming. And usually when I come across entities in my dreams, I don't feel like they're any more powerful than me. They can't do anything to me yeah. spiritually.
1: Well, it's all, I think that they're highly reliant on smoke and mirrors on creating the illusion of of having authority over you and if you don't have faith in Christ then their authority is real but it's it's like a paper tiger because if your authority is there then they're the ones who are afraid you know like like i mean if your faith is there then they're the ones who need to
0: be afraid well and then again they may not be the bad guys because i what what i was going to say i don't know if i told i'm sure i told you but i don't know if you remember but I ran into this being that like I bumped into it and it was oh, like- Oh, yeah, a that giant. Giant, like yeah. a chest plate. And I look up and he had this big flowing beard. He was blonde haired, blue eyed, Viking, very Viking looking, yeah, Nordic. And I'm pretty sure I was within the earth and this, and now this, anybody can say, okay, that was just a dream, but it didn't seem like a dream to me. And the, my instant thought was like, he's blocking me from going somewhere, and he didn't open his mouth. He just gave me this very stern look. He wasn't hostile, but it was like, if I try to do something to this guy or try to act out in any sort of hostile way, violent way, whatever, I'm going to be in big trouble yeah. because I was nowhere near as powerful as this being. And I've never, in my whole life, I've never ran across anybody like that. Yeah, He was the most powerful entity I've ever come come up against. And it was just like hitting a wall and then looking up, and his is he was so wide and so big that it was like this is a giant, you know? Yeah. And he was he didn't grab me, didn't touch me, but the idea of trying to fight past this guy was just inconceivable. And I think that it would have I would have been in big trouble if I tried anything. And so it was kind of like mind speak, but there were no words. It was just like being told in a way, like the feeling you get of saying, go back. Yeah. You don't belong here. And I did. And that was it. And I woke up. Um, Now I've faced other beings that were like giant looking beings when I was out of my body. And they were no problem. I could, they they just looked big and strong and nasty and mean, but they were no tougher than me. And you just fight with them and you get past them or whatever. They'll try to grab you and drag you down. I've had things try to pull me through a wall Um, it just depends. I mean, like, and, and some of it seems dreamlike and some of it seems more real than this. Yeah. You know, it's just different types of, uh, I don't know, different levels maybe, but what it sounds like with this guy, you know, what Brian went through was like, he was facing entities of all stripes and all whatever. And I think he was, he called it, he said he had this one encounter and I'll tell this one, this is very, I'm not going to get into it. I might tell this one on the. You know what? We should probably talk about this one on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I can maybe do that this coming Sunday, folks. But he said that he was having an encounter with what he called a council. He called it the Galactic Council. He didn't know it. He didn't oh, know what wow. to call it. But some people will call it the Intergalactic Council, and I've heard that before. But he's like, "Have you ever heard of this like Galactic Council?" There were like this. It was like I was at a table, and there was like this. These steps that I was on, and I was way below this this table. These people were all giants. They were all like three or four times the size of a normal human being. Yeah. He said maybe 20, 30 feet tall. You could see they were just sitting down, and they were huge. And there were all these smaller little entities were around him, and they were talking. And they were kind of ignoring him, but there was this one that was sitting above them that looked like he was falling asleep. And he, uh-huh. But he said that he... Had these weird looking tentacles, and he said it was like he was a uh, like a judge or something. Like he wasn't like the boss, but he was there to pass judgment on whatever they were doing. And um, he just said he remembers like kind of getting sleepy, and then he woke up and he was in his room.
1: Yeah, see, I think that's an example of of, of not all aliens are demons. I don't know if those beings were organized enough to actually have a council and, and sit down and discuss things. That that's not really demonic behavior, you know, like working together and, and, and they don't play well with others. Yeah, exactly. Like work, the cooperation is not in their repertoire. I
0: believe that this is what I believe. I believe that there are some, as they call the Mm shaitan, and I'm going to leave with this and folks think about this. I believe that there are some entities that are evil and they are organized. And it's kind of like, it sounds silly kind of, but like Dungeons and Dragons, you have chaotic evil, then you have lawful, or lawful evil, which is like, it's like a type of evil that's that's order. Yeah. You know, there's there's organization, but most of them I think are chaotic and, and they only will, will work together to suit their own purposes and needs. And ultimately <laughs> they'll turn on each other. That's their biggest weakness is that they're not loyal. Mm -hmm. But they would be considered outlaws by any organization, whether they're good, bad, whatever. Even organized criminals have to be leery of people who are chaotic criminals because they'll get you in trouble. Um, So, you know, that being said, folks, thank you for listening to PRT, Paranormal Roundtable. This is food for thought. I'm not going to sit here and say that this is the unadulterated truth because I don't know. Um, I just can only relay them. I'm the messenger. I can only relay what was told to me. Um, but I did give some of these, a, a, a bulk of this information, not all of it, but most of what I could. And then some intimate details that he told me about some stuff that I told you that we can't talk about on the show. Yeah. And things that I told Christopher and Barton Unley, and a few other, my trusted friends, you know? Um, yeah, it's really weird. I mean, it's like, I can't, say a hundred percent, you know, that I believe every single thing he said, because some of it, even for him, he seemed kind of like he was not totally grasping it because he was, he was like in this dream state, you know, and some of the stuff I left out because it's just too hard to fathom because he didn't even really understand it because think of it like this, all this stuff is going on, you know, and it could be real, but then you could also be having dreams about this stuff because it's created PTSD that's giving you nightmares. So yeah. the nightmares could be real too. They're flowing out of whatever happened to you. So then that muddies the water even further. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially because I, as a kid, he has no idea what the, what he was being injected with. Yeah, this this weird fluid. Um, and and I kind of joked. And I, I don't think he thought it was funny. I'm sorry, Brian. I'm a joker. I do say things that are. I, try, I just try to lighten the mood with levity. But he said he there was this green liquid. And one time, he looked down, and I was like, "Well, maybe it was radiator fluid." I was just joking, you know. Yeah. And he, and I, he go, he just then he didn't he didn't laugh. <laughs> but I said, "Okay, I'm not I'm not trying to be funny." But you know, I mean, who knows? Yeah. You don't know what that is. You know. I mean, is he still in contact with his adoptive parents? Mm-mm, no. He got away we from got them away completely? He got away from them, hasn't talked to them in years. Oh, good. I think he said it's been like, you know, 12 years, or something like that. Does he still get the phone calls to this day? Sometimes. Oh, um, poor guy. He goes through burner phones and things like that. I mean, I mean, he's used two different phones numbers just since I first talked to him until recently. And it's like the ultimate
1: existential crisis is to see your life unfold before you as a as a lie.
0: And then when you try to tell people, they're going to think you're a liar too. Yeah. Which is why a lot of these people don't come forward themselves. That's unfortunate. Because I gave him that option and he was, you no, know, he didn't really seem, you know, his buddy now, on the other hand, we've told a couple of his stories already and, and you know who that is, but he, he was very forthcoming. They met each other at a group which started out as Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. But then there was like a group within a group that were survivors of this. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's there there's a whole f- thing, like an underground thing that I didn't I didn't know it existed. Like you know, four years ago you told me this, I would have been like, What, dude? This is like the story from the LBL, you know, they're like, Oh, these devil monkeys. I'm like, Okay, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't know what these people these people it just sounded really What is the word? Ratchety? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> or like I don't know what the word is. Like it sounded really uh, weird, you know, and I'm just thinking, this is not you know, but as we've gone down this proverbial rabbit hole I mean, you just start to come up with more and more weirdness and every door you open takes you into another journey onto some other, you know, I mean, we're talking about the inner earth and people being abducted by inner earth beings and then some people going into the sky, you know, people are seeing heaven, they're seeing hell, they're seeing all these weird things, but that's, that's, thank you for listening to PRT because that's what we do. We talk about the weird and the strange, the esoteric, we talk about alternate realities, dog man, Bigfoot. You know, it is what it is. I mean, we just talk about all these weird things. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, pe- people come to me, you know, and it's like the story that I th- with the Scottish guy that went through the cult thing in Northern yeah. Scotland. We talked about that on Sunday on the live stream, folks. If you if you don't check out the live stream, go and listen to that story on YouTube. It's a, it's the last story we talked about, the last encounter story we talked about on Sunday's show on the live stream. You know that story there. He tried giving that story to a, a couple other YouTubers, podcasters, whatever, and they just they just kind of scoffed at him, like, "Oh well," because it doesn't fit this painted narrative of this dog man. You know, it's not it's not a dog. It's not a werewolf. It's a dog man. Yeah. You know, and the dog man. You know, it's and not they, they, as simple as an undiscovered species Species of animal or some bull crap. So, you know, th- th- you can't, and I'm not saying that it's bull crap that that could exist, but I'm saying that's not what that was. Yeah. So when when you, you know, got these people, they have this agenda. Well, you know that Mr. T that was on Barton show. You know, he said he went to several people and tried to give them his story and they just like, yeah, whatever. Brian, the same thing. He reached out to one other large YouTuber that wasn't interested in hearing what he had to say. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because, you know, I'm, I'm not... You know, and this one guy, he tried to say that, that oh, he's like the trash or the trash compactor. He'll take any story, whatever. I, I want these people to have a voice. Yeah. I mean, why would you discount what they say? Because it didn't happen to you? Yeah, exactly. Because it's no weirder than, you know, Like and this one guy in particular, he's got a very hard to believe dog man story. He had the nerve to pop up and say something about that. You know, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Y- your story is, you know, just as suspect as anybody else. Yeah, like my story I got witnesses you know I mean I got witnesses these people don't even have a witness to their story and you're gonna call other people out and say silly things well you know but anyways folks this is the third time I'm gonna say it mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you for listening to Paranormal Roundtable I'm your host Anthony I mean I'm your host Anthony uh-huh. I'm your host Josh Turner I'm with Anthony we're tired it's late and uh we gotta go to the gym even now so folks we'll see you. thank you for tuning in and good night